0: Lord, as we come to your word now, we ask that you would speak to us, that you would guide us, that you would highlight the things you want us to to remember. Lord, as we come to your word, we pray that you would use it to touch our hearts, to encourage and strengthen us, guide all that is said. In Jesus' name, amen. Many young people today tend to describe themselves not as religious, but nevertheless as spiritual. They recognize instinctively that that God has made us as spiritual people. While many people focus on the need for physical health, mental health, and emotional health, the often neglected side of our lives is our spiritual health. And yet, people are looking for spiritual fulfillment in all kinds of different places. For example, Tony Campolo said, ours is an age in which spiritual blessings are being promised to those who buy material things. The spiritual is being absorbed absorbed by the physical. The fruit of the spirit, suggests the media, can be had without God and without spiritual disciplines well if we want spiritual blessings the Bible teaches us we need Jesus in our lives we need to be reconciled to God through faith in Christ and then we need as part of that we receive the Holy Spirit and we need to walk in holiness walking in the Spirit it's only then that that spiritual vacuum that that spiritual need becomes properly filled and once we receive the Spirit We need to walk in the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. How can we do that? There's many ways. Spiritual devotions, daily devotions, worshipping a church each week as circumstances allow us, serving God, using our gifting in the Spirit through the church, through other organizations, witnessing, being salt and light, At home, at work, in social contexts. These are all ways in which we can serve God, walk in the Spirit. But today I'd like us to focus on one aspect of spiritual health. And that is the fruit of the Spirit. (coughs) The title today is Keep in Step with the Spirit. That's uh, that's what Paul says at the end of Galatians chapter five. It's also the title of various books that are on the same topic, so it's it's not a unique heading by any means. Let's start off with looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. In order to see the fruit of the Spirit, it's helpful to take a bigger picture and look at the the work of the Spirit. When people talk about the Holy Spirit and keeping in step with the Spirit, what comes to mind? For many people, it's charismatic or Pentecostal gifting. It's about the extraordinary work of the Spirit, the supernatural gifts of healing, words of knowledge, and so on. Paul says in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And yet, without taking away from the need to, to use our gifting in the Spirit, the context here in Galatians, like, like in all situations, a verse is often explained or put in context by the verses around it, the passage around it. Just after those words, Paul writes, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. And you think, hold on, where did that come from? I thought he was going to be talking about, you know, the Spirit working in power and doing miracles and things. When he's talking about how we get on with each other. To understand the work of the Spirit, we need to understand that the, the Spirit works in us in two ways. One is the fruit of the Spirit The Spirit creates in us a new heart. We receive new life when we place our faith in Christ. And that new life grows as we walk in the Spirit. We grow in holiness as we set our minds more in the Spirit than in the old nature. And we produce the fruit of the Spirit. It's very popular today to talk about the Spirit as a shortened version of the Holy Spirit. And the work of the Holy Spirit is... Well, there's a clue in the title, the Holy Spirit. Or as we read in a number of places in the New Testament, he's described as the Spirit of Holiness. So the work of the Spirit in us is holiness. And when we are walking in the Spirit, we're walking in the Spirit of Holiness. On the other hand, there's gifts of the Spirit. While the fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit does in us, concerning us, our growth, our maturing in holiness. In when the Holy Spirit works in us, He works through us when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is working we are the we're the subject, we are the ones who are being worked on. But regarding the gifts of the Spirit, it's not about us. It's about others. Particularly, it's about the building up of the church. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given, for the common good the gifts of the spirit are given to build up the church they're not there just for our personal edification we can sometimes even be used by the spirit in terms of gifting when we're not having a good day personally Timothy Keller once said that there's times when he's not in a good place himself As he ought to be But when he gets into the pulpit The Spirit uses him when people are blessed The gifts of the Spirit Are not about us But about how the Spirit Blesses others In contrast The fruit of the Spirit It's all about us And our maturing in the Lord So coming back to Galatians 3 again We see here that the context is Clearly, not about gifts of the spirit, but about the fruit of the spirit. In fact, in verse twenty two Paul says, "But the fruit of the spirit is he defines it it 's clear being led by the spirit that 's a phrase that uh, that we hear a couple of times in the New Testament. we read in one of the gospels where Simeon came to the temple and depending on the translation that he was led by the spirit and he sees the young baby Jesus. But actually the, the translation is better, he came in the spirit. The only two references that seem to be led by the spirit <clears throat> clearly in a leading way with that word to be led are in Galatians 5, verse 8, in this chapter we're looking at, as well as Romans eight fourteen. The idea here is that the Spirit is leading us and that we're being led by the Spirit, that there's a connection. Actually, it's probably, when we think of it being led, if you think of somebody leading a horse, you think of somebody's got the reins and they're pulling the horse along. And that's where that phrase being led in the Greek would have had connotations to do with a horse. But actually, the arguably, Paul was alluding to something very different. Greek mythology, Greek philosophy was very popular at the time Paul was writing. And people knew of the the analogy of the charioteer from the work of Plato and others. Have you ever seen the film Ben-Hur? It's it's like Formula One back 2,000 years ago. (laughs) You get people racing in their chariots with four horses in front of them racing along at great speed around a circuit. Charlton Heston is still well-remembered for that very famous scene. Yet, while some of the charioteers had four white horses and others had four black horses, the analogy of the charioteer that was very familiar to people um, back in in the days of Paul was where, well, let me show you an image, where you, you had two horses where you had a black horse and a white horse the black horse if the chariot here let the black horse lead then the black horse would go down the black horse is like the dark side and the dark horse would would lead us down into the underworld into things which are of sin and darkness but if the chariot here was to give Rein in the black horse and let the white horse lead. The white horse would lead upwards to heaven. That's what the, the Greek philosophers believed. And it seems that Paul is using this analogy to say, listen, reign in the flesh, but be led by the Spirit. Let the Spirit lead you. Those who don't have the Spirit only have a dark horse. Okay, the dark horse might have some good days and they're not quite so bad, but it's still only a dark horse. But once we've got the Spirit within us, we have the white horse and we need to let the Spirit lead us. We need to give the reins onto the Spirit and rein in on the flesh. So, there's a command, the exhortation here to be led by the Spirit Being led by the Spirit in the New Testament, Paul's writing, is all about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not about wondering, where is the Spirit going to lead me today? What's the Spirit going to lead me into things that I've never known or done before? It's not about the unknown. It's about the known. It's about walking in the fruit of the Spirit. There are, of course, ways in which the Holy Spirit will guide and lead In Acts 13, he led the the elders and the church leaders to set apart Paul and Barnabas into ministry. The Spirit does lead, definitely. But what Paul is talking about here, and in Romans chapter 8, is about the fruit of the Spirit. Walking in holiness. In terms of the context of the book of Galatians, Paul wrote this letter because some people were distorting the gospel. They had come to the idea that you got to keep the law of Moses from circumcision to food laws. And Galatian believers were starting to fall for this message, trying to be right with God by works, by legalism, instead of by God's grace. Instead of giving at the start of a letter a customary note of thanks and praise and mentioning finding something or anything to give thanks and praise for them at the start of a letter, which is what was the usual thing to do. Paul just launches straight in and says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. You wouldn't want to get a letter from Paul that starts like that. But they got one. Because it was a serious issue. Paul goes on in chapter 4 to say, You're observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I've wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers and sisters. Become like me, for I became like you. What he's saying is, well, Paul, as a Jew, wasn't following all the law of Moses anymore. He was free in Christ. He didn't have to do that in order to be right with God. Uh, They are trying to do all that, but he said, be like me, the way you were, you don't need to follow all of that legalism. Skipping forward to Galatians 5, he writes, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And so he says in verse 13 You my brothers and sisters were called to be free but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh rather serve one another humbly in love for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command love your neighbour as yourself if you bite and devour each other watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. His focus is not to be legalistic his focus is not to be focusing on the law but to walk in the spirit to walk in the freedom of grace that Christ has given he associates law and legalism with walking in the flesh and the things of the flesh include biting and devouring one another destroying one another and so that's what he starts this passage in Galatians 5 with, and he ends with almost another bookend on that passage. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. His concern is for the church. His concern is for their their well-being. His concern is that they will walk as they ought to before God for their spiritual health. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So Paul's concern throughout the book of Galatians is primarily that they won't be legalistic. In verse 14 he says, The entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. It's very easy for people to, to be legalistic and to be focusing on the law. You've got to do this, you've got to do that. I miss the whole point of the law. The purpose of the law is to love God with all our heart, mind, soul and strength and our neighbour as ourselves. And if we're loving our neighbour, we're doing it because we're loving God. So loving God and loving neighbour can even be shortened to loving our neighbour as ourselves. But the problem is, we tend to use the law in a legalistic way. We tend to become like Pharisees. If you compare the, the two characters in Les Miserables, there's the jailer, Javert, who hounds people. He, he wants to apply the letter of the law. And there's the, the former convict, Jean Valjean. The jailer wants to put him back in jail, the jailer doesn't care about how good and gracious and how much this man has helped how much he's reformed how he has known God's grace and forgiveness he doesn't care about that there's no room in this legalistic man's world for forgiveness, for grace and in the end when grace comes his way he can't cope with it and he ends his life it destroyed him Legalism destroys people. But grace and God's love these are the points of the law. These are what the law is meant to facilitate. Our response to law can either be legalism or it can be love. And yet too often when it comes to God's law we we see the legalistic side and we we shy away from it. There's a story told of a woman who, she was told once that her dog would be very healthy if she gave a castor oil every day. You've probably heard this illustration before. So each day the poor little Yorkshire Terrier would be cornered. She'd grab it by the neck and she'd pry its mouth open and she would get this spoonful of castor oil and she would force it down its throat. And neither she nor the dog enjoyed the experience. And one day the dog yelped and kicked so much that it knocked the bottle to the other side of the room, spilling it all over the floor. She went out to get a cloth to mop it up, and she came back in to find that the dog was licking up the castor oil. <laughs> she realised the dog loved the castor oil, it just hit it being forced down its throat. And it's maybe an illustration of how God's law is something that, if it's given to us in the right way, we love it. It facilitates us loving our neighbor. But if it's forced down our throat in the form of legalism, well, it's a harsh, uncaring, ungracious thing. And we're far more legalistic than we than we realize. It, it seems to come naturally to us and we don't even see it in ourselves. A woman called Joanna Reardon wrote, When our children were young, my husband and I decided we wouldn't watch R-rated movies. That's the American equivalent of 15s. Roughly. <clears throat> we made this decision in good conscience and never regretted it. I find, however that it made me feel judgmental towards other parents who watched R-rated movies. (coughs) I began to feel they weren't fully committed to Christ because they were watching something I decided not to watch. I realized how ridiculous it is to judge someone's relationship with, with God by what they watch on TV or what movies they watch. But my evaluation was so subtle at the time As I made this judgment, I never thought about my own sin or all the things the person I was judging was actually doing right, all the other things they were doing. Instead, I focused on this one thing I thought they were doing wrong. Being a Pharisee is so easy. It's great to make rules to guide our own behavior, but when we extend those rules to everyone around us, we're in danger of becoming like the Pharisees, whom Jesus denounced as hypocrites. She writes, and it's too easy for us as well to to just focus on the things that are wrong to become legalistic to lose the joy and the heart of the gospel and of God's law it's too easy to stand in judgment of others and yet it's so difficult on our own that we find that we can't Be the people we ought to be, unless we're relying on God's power working through us. We try and be as godly as we ought to be. We try and obey God's law. We try and love our neighbour as ourself. We try and love him as we ought to, but we, we don't have the strength at times ourselves. If you're old enough, you might have seen the film The Nun's Story. It's about a a story of a a young nun, a novice, who goes into a a convent to, to train to be a nun. But before she takes up her final vows, Sister Luke, who's prayed by Audrey Hepburn, she's in her room. It's almost like a dungeon. It's almost like a prison cell, from what I remember of the movie. But she's in her room, and she's praying. She says, Dear Lord... The more I try, the more imperfect I become. I seem to fail in charity, humility and obedience. Pride has not been burned out of me. And when I succeed in obeying the rule, the the rule of the convent, I fail at the same time because of pride in succeeding. If she loses, she loses. If she does what is right, she fails as well. Pride Is a scene which runs throughout that whole movie and her ability, her trying to conquer it. But we can't do that in our own strength. We haven't got the ability and yet with the spirit we do have the ability. There are many ways in which we can be legalistic towards others and for each of us, we might be legalistic in a different way. And it's not always legalism in terms of pointing out things. It, sometimes it's judgmentalism, which is a form of legalism. It's not that we can't discern between what's right and wrong. And it's not wrong to discuss it at times with each other, to try and figure out where is the line between what's right and wrong. But there's a difference between discerning and Judging. We ought not to be condemning of others. We ought not to drop our standards. But we can keep our standards, but not in a judgmental way. But in order to keep in step with the Spirit, we need to walk in the Spirit. And we are in a spiritual battle, not just with... As Paul describes in Ephesians 6, the the spiritual powers in the heavenly places, demonic forces. We're in a spiritual battle within our own hearts. Paul describes in Galatians 5 verses 16 to 17 what he later, years later, writes to the, the church in Rome. And he describes in more detail in Romans chapter 7. So I say live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. So you are not, so you are not to do whatever you want. We're, we find there's this battle going on within us. Between the old sinful nature and wanting to walk in the Spirit. We all know this. Being a follower of Jesus, we struggle with sin, not just temptation from others or from the evil one, but temptation in our own hearts. And Paul contrasts two extremes here in order to encourage us, in order to highlight the problem. He highlights the contrast between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. We know that walking in the flesh, things like sexual immorality, idolatry, sorcery, and drunkenness, and so on, are, well, these things are not unknown to some Christians. Hopefully, they're, they're not what characterize our lives. They're the aberration or the exception to the norm, but they sometimes happen. The more common, apart from backsliding, the more common things that Paul lists here are discord, jealousy, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. We find that we're walking in these things far more than actually we would like to admit. When somebody is doing well when something goes well, instead of rejoicing with those who rejoice, we get jealous, we get envious. We don't weep with those who weep. Instead, we focus on our own selfish ambitions. We don't keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, but we suffer from dissensions and factions. And yet, in contrast to all of this, Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. When we walk in the Spirit we see love first on his list. Not the romantic love where people want to feel good by having their needs met. Where the feel-good version of the world is love which the world redefines. And they redefine who you can love. It's not always the opposite sex now. It defines how you love them. It's, it's, it's all about me being fulfilled, me being cared for. Whereas instead, in verse 14, Paul says that love is the fulfillment of God's law loving God and loving our neighbour. Biblical love is about giving, not receiving. It's about gracious love. It's unconditional. It absorbs the pain of others' sin rather than pointing the finger and being judgmental. It's like what Jesus did on the cross for us. To use Paul's words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians: 13, "Love is patient. love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it's not pride. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And this is love in more detail. And yet, naturally, When things don't go the way we think they ought to, we assume people did things with bad motives. We tend to find ourselves boasting, even in very subtle ways, far more often than we would like to admit. We're so often proud of things that we have done or proud of how the Lord has used us. Instead of giving the glory to him, we let it rest on us. Sometimes we're too easily angered. Sometimes we keep a mental list of all the things that people have done wrong. We're unforgiving. And we're more focused on pointing the finger than on praising people. Sometimes we dismiss people's sensitivity. We don't respect them enough. We're not concerned about them enough. We don't consider others better than ourselves. Sometimes we can be controlling or forcing our views in others or belittling them, having a controlling behavior because we think we're right. Instead, we should be gentle. We should be kind. We should be good towards others. Sometimes we gravitate towards the dark side of what's on the TV or in the media. Instead, we should rejoice in what is good and honourable and pure. Instead of building people up, we end up dragging them down. But if we walk in the Spirit, we will build each other up. We will encourage, we will love, we will provide a safe place for people. And we will have joy in our hearts, we will have peace in our hearts will have you ever noticed how this list of the fruit of the spirit in, in galatians 5:22 to 23 there's only a couple of things that are actually about us but most of them are just about us in isolation like joy and self-control but most of them are about how we relate to other people love peace patience kindness Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. You can't do that except with other people. You can't be gentle without anybody else being there. You can't be patient unless there's somebody to be patient with. You can't be kind unless there's somebody to be kind with or to. So the fruit of the Spirit is more about how we engage with others more often than not. if we struggle with self-control well we can say no to to things that we ought not to to, to indulge in and we can encourage that by maybe fasting once a week fasting not only helps us draw closer to the Lord for a certain amount of time but it also builds our self-control and Paul writes Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And in that, what he means is that we are not controlled by the passions and desires. These things do not control us. Too often you hear people say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I just couldn't help myself. A passion controls them a temptation they can't resist. But when Christ died on the cross, we died in him. Our old nature died in him in the sense that it now doesn't control us. We're no longer slaves to sin. It's still there, but it's not in charge. We can now walk in holiness. We can walk in the Spirit. We can please God. We can have the fruit of the Spirit. And when we're walking in the Spirit, we won't be legalistic, but we can trust in Jesus and we can walk in the Spirit as we follow him. Catherine Booth, whose husband started the Salvation Army, writes that what the law tried to do by a restraining power from outside, the gospel does by an inspiring power From within, the law tries to tell us you should do this, and we haven't got the ability to do it as we ought. But the gospel, the spirit within, enables us to do it as we ought. And yet, we too often fail. We end up being legalistic, we end up being unloving instead of loving. Impatient instead of patient. And Paul's concern for the believers here in Galatia are that they won't be biting at each other and walking in the flesh and destroying each other. He wants them to focus on the grace of God, the mercy of God, and to walk in the Spirit. Not being legalistic like Pharisees, but walking in holiness and having that joy and peace and patience and kindness so there will be joy within their fellowship, that there will be light and love within their lives, regardless of who they meet and interact with. That's why he writes, (coughs) focusing firstly from a salvation perspective that is not by law but by grace, but then from a discipleship perspective that we oughtn't to walk by the old sinful nature but we ought to walk in the spirit and yet when we fail we thank God that we have forgiveness in the cross he starts the next chapter by saying and let's finish just with these words brothers and sisters if someone is caught in a sin you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently watch yourselves or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Let's just pray. Lord we thank you for going to the cross in our place for the forgiveness we have. We thank you for the spirit to. We thank you for the new spirit in our lives. Lord, forgive us when we have sinned, but Lord, help us to set our minds on the spirit, to walk in the spirit, and see the fruit of the spirit grow in our lives, to be more sanctified, to be more holy, which is what we have been called to. In Jesus' name, amen.